Well, welcome to River Glen, everybody. It is good to see you here in Waukesha. And if you're hanging out with us in Pewaukee, glad that you're with us. And we also have an online campus. So there's people all across the country with us right now. And so really glad that all of you are here with us today. In case we haven't met, I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here at River Glen. And before I jump in to uh, the message this morning, I want to just back up real quick to what Ben talked about. Um, and that's inviting people to come join us next weekend. My wife Kelly and I were talking about who we can invite, and a couple years ago, we moved into a new neighborhood. So we have a lot of new people that we've met, and last night, we live in this condominium complex. We were at a party, and so we were inviting people to join us. But then when we got home, we were talking about, you know, in our old neighborhood, there's a whole bunch of people we can ask and invite to join us. And so the point is, no matter where you live, no matter who you know, we all have people in our lives that we can invite to come and attend service when we kick off that new series next weekend. And you never know, that simple one-time invitation, that can change a life. So it's like Ben said, he's praying about he can, who he can be asking, Kelly and I are. And so I just want to encourage you to do the same thing and invite um, whoever comes to your mind. And uh, so today, we're going to jump into today, we're going to wrap up our bumper sticker theology series. And I've learned that what you display on the bumper sticker of your car, it actually says a lot about you. Did you know that? It kind of reveals your personality. Um, the good people at CheapCarInsurance.com, they're the authorities on bumper sticker research. And uh, they surveyed over 2,000 people to discover some very insightful bumper sticker trends. And so, for example, if you live down in the South, you are far more likely to have a bumper sticker on your car than if you live up here in the Midwest. As a matter of fact, in the Midwest, we are in the lowest percentage of people who put bumper stickers on their cars. But the ones of us that do, if we have a bumper sticker on our car, it's most likely something to do, it has most likely something to do with our family. So for example, you've probably all seen the bumper sticker that says, my kid is an honor roll student at... And then if your kid's not an honor roll student, your bumper sticker says something like, my kid can beat up your honor roll student. <laughs> yeah, we are just, we're proud, we're, we're proud parents. Um, women, women are more likely to have bumper stickers on their cars than men are. And, and that's not all. They actually break down these statistics state by state. And, and, and if you live in, in Colorado, if you live in Colorado, your bumper sticker most likely has something to do with the activities you enjoy. So you'll see stickers like, you know, Rocky Mountain High or uh, Ski Vale. But then if you live in Illinois or Minnesota, check this out. If you live in Illinois, Minnesota, right, your bumper sticker most likely has something to do with politics. And that's what happens when you do not have a professional football team. Okay, so if you've been away for a few weeks, you might be wondering why we're talking about bumper stickers. But over the past several weeks, we're in this series. It's called Bumper Sticker Theology. And if you missed any of those messages, I want to encourage you to hop over to our website and check those messages out because they can be super helpful. Because in this series, we've looked at several familiar sayings that seem harmless but they can actually be quite dangerous if we don't look at them the right way. And so we've examined those sayings through the lens. Is it biblically sound or does it just sound biblical? And so here is the first bumper sticker that we looked at. 
God won't give you more than you can handle. But then the truth is, after we look into Scripture, the truth of what that bumper sticker is, God will help you handle all that you've been given. And then the next bumper sticker we looked at is God helps those who help themselves. And that one actually, a lot of people think that that one is in the Bible, but we flipped it around and it became, the truth became, God helps those who cannot help themselves. And last week, the bumper sticker was, everything happens for a reason. And that sounds pretty biblical, pretty, pretty sound, but we changed it to God can use everything that happens for a reason. And today, we are going to look at perhaps what is one of the most dangerous sayings, and is God is my co-pilot. Have you ever seen that on a car? Anybody ever see that one on a car, right? We've, we've seen that. That one's out there. Because at first, this one doesn't sound bad, does it? It's kind of like saying, as I'm flying the plane of my life, God's sitting right here in the seat next to me. He's giving me instruction. He's giving me guidance on where to go, what to do, and, and how to live my life. And you can almost picture that. You can almost visualize that. Let's just say you're flying the, the plane, the private plane of your life. And for me, it's a Learjet. And I'm in my Learjet, and I got Jesus right next to me. He's wearing the co-pilot hat. He's by my side, and he's ready to give me insight on demand. Not bad, right? That, 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 that doesn't sound bad, but that's what makes this saying so dangerous. It sounds pretty good. It sounds like a person who takes the relationship with God seriously, but at the end of the day, this is not a healthy way to view our relationship with God. A while ago, I read a leadership book called Good to Great, and, and you've probably read, many of you have read that same book, and it makes the claim that the enemies of the great things in our life, the enemy isn't the bad things, the things that are obviously wrong. Instead, the enemy of the great things are actually good things. Bad things are easy to see and avoid, but the good things, we can spend tons of time and energy on good things, and these good things can keep us from the great things that God has for us. When Jesus or God is your co-pilot, that might sound like a good thing, that might seem like a good thing, especially when you look back of where you've come from. You look back to your past, and there might have been a time in your life when God wasn't even allowed a seat on the plane. And so we can look at where we are now, and we can become excited about how far we've come and how much we've grown. But I want to encourage us today to not let the good steps that we've taken stop us from the great things that God has for us. And, and so today, we're going to look at a young man. We're going to look at a good young man, and he's put God in the co-pilot seat of his life. If you have a Bible, go ahead and pull it out, or if you want to use your Bible app, we're going to look at Matthew 19. We're going to take a look at verses 16 through 22. If you want to use one of the Bibles, the seat in front of you, it's on page 689. But we're going to look at the first two verses here. Now a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good things must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who's good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. And now here's kind of what's going on. This young man, he comes up to Jesus and he hits him with, he's like, Jesus, what good things, what do I need to do to get eternal life? And he wants to be sure that he's in the clear and that he's done everything that he can do to be right with God, that he's met all of God's expectations. He's implying 
that there's this to-do list, and if I complete this to-do list, I have eternal life. But Jesus responds with an answer that any young Jewish man, anybody of the Jewish faith, they would have known very well at that time. Jesus simply says, obey the commandments. It's not complicated. Just obey the commandments. And so our young friend, he starts out, he's asking another question. And in verse 18, he starts out, which ones? And at this point, he's almost like saying to Jesus, I know that God gave us 10, but are we supposed to keep them all? It's almost like he expects Jesus to say, okay, you got me. You're supposed to keep one, three, five, seven, nine, two, four, six, eight, ten. Well, we had two tablets, so we added some more. <laughs> now, the Ten Commandments, right, we're, we're probably all familiar with them. You might not have them committed to memory, but the Ten Commandments have been described this way. The first four are vertical. They go from us, they go to God, and they describe our relationship with God. We're not to have any other gods. Don't worship idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. And remember to keep the Sabbath. So that describes our relationship with God. The next six, they're horizontal. And those six commandments, they tell us how we're to interact with one another. They tell us how we're to deal with one another. And they teach us how to live a life that doesn't impact other people negatively. And so Jesus goes on, he goes on to list some of those commandments. So the young man, he said, which ones, he inquired. And Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And our friend goes on to say, he says, all of these I have kept. But the next question the young man asks is very revealing because he tells Jesus, I've done everything that you've said. But the young man knows that he's missing something. He knows there has to be more because after meeting the standards that Jesus set, he still asks the question, what do I lack? And Jesus gently leads him to the one thing that he's been holding back. The steering wheel. He's been hanging on to the steering wheel of his life because the young man wants to be the one steering his life. He wants to be the one in charge of his life, and he's grasping on to this. And so Jesus answers, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. And this phrase, treasures in heaven, it's referring to eternal life, and that's what the young man is after. Now check out verse 22, though. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And now for some people, this might have been a very easy thing to do, but not for this guy because Matthew tells us this guy is really, really rich. He's Bill Gates rich. He's in the 1% rich, and he had a lot to hold on to. And Matthew tells us he turned away sad, and he left. And now there's something else we should also notice here. In Jesus' first response, he lists some of the Ten Commandments, and the guy says, I've done all of those things. But then Jesus goes on to give him that something that isn't in the Ten Commandments. Jesus says, go sell your stuff. And why would Jesus do that? Well, here's a nuance that you might not catch if you just read through this one time. And Jesus actually adds one commandment, and he deletes. He leaves out another commandment. Jesus adds the commandment. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. 
And he omits the 10th commandment. And the 10th commandment is the commandment on coveting. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. Do not covet your neighbor's home. The coveting thing is what he leaves out. And coveting means to wrongfully desire what rightfully belongs to someone else. And not only does that refer to maybe someone else's possessions, but that can also refer to your stuff, your possessions, where you want it so much that you don't want to do anything to lose any of it. And so you have this unhealthy desire. And so a lesson that we see time and time time again throughout the Bible, God isn't interested in only our outward behavior and our outward obedience. And that is super important. But God's ultimately interested in our hearts, what's inside us. He's interested in our whole heart. He wants all of us, not just our actions. And so think about it this way. You're in the cockpit of the plane. You get on a plane, and you see something like this. But if you do get in the cockpit of a plane and you see something like this, get off the plane. (laughs) Anyways, this guy approaches Jesus and he says, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And he's, basing it, he's basically saying, what do I need to let go of? What do I need to let go of in my life so that I can have this real abundant, this abundant life to the full? And Jesus lifts off. He lifts off a few things, and the guy's feeling pretty good about himself. But then he says, what do I lack? What else must I do? What else is there? And let's think about that for a second, because why does this guy, why does he ask that question? Jesus has already given this list of things to do. The guy says, I've done all these things. Why doesn't the guy just say, hey, awesome, Jesus, fist bump, I'm out of here. Why doesn't he just walk away happy and content? You know what I think? I think he asks the question because he knows that something isn't right. He knew something was off, and he knew that he wasn't experiencing the true life, that abundant life, the life to the full that Jesus provides, right? He knew that he was gripping the steering wheel of his own life, that he was in charge. And then he asked, well, what else must I do? And Jesus basically tells him, he says, hey, you got to let go of that steering wheel. You need to let go of that thing. Whatever that thing is, even if it's a good thing, you got to let go of it. Because it's getting in the way of the greatest thing. And that's that abundant life. That's in the here and now. And for this young man, he's coveting his great wealth. And because he's coveting that wealth, that's getting in the way of him loving others. And Jesus says, he says, you got to trust me. You got to give me the steering wheel. You got to let me direct your entire life. And Jesus is asking us, The same things. He's asking us to trust him with our lives. So what what is that thing that you're holding on to? What, what, What may be good thing or maybe not such a good thing? What's getting in the way of the greatest things that God has for you? Think about that for a second. Ask yourself this question. What am I hanging on to? What is it for you? Maybe it's the same thing that the young man struggled with. Maybe it's money. But let's be real. Money is just a thing, right? It's not good or bad. 
But when we strive to grasp and we try to get money and we hang on to it for security or we try to get money so it'll give us power over other people or when we become so consumed with money that we think we're never going to have enough and so we become stingy and we're not generous and we hang on to it for dear life, then it becomes a thing. Or maybe it's success and winning. And that's what you think is going to bring purpose and meaning in your life. And so you have to be success at work. And maybe the whole focus of your life is achievement. And you've got to have success in your relationships. Success, success in your friendships. Success in winning at all costs. So maybe winning at all costs is what's important to you. Or maybe it's trying to get everybody to like you everybody to like you, and you're constantly seeking the approval of others, and and because your mind's constantly distracted by pleasing other people, you're missing out. Or or maybe it's just pleasure. Maybe you just want to check out for life from a while, and so maybe for you, maybe you're just binge-watching Netflix on the weekend, or, or maybe you chase after sex, or food, or entertainment, or anything that will give you temporary relief. If only for a moment. And it could be perfectionism or it could be pride. You know, you might, you, might, you might be the person that can't accept any of your flaws and because you can't accept any of your flaws, you can't accept any flaws in anybody else and, and you can't forgive yourself and so forth. Therefore, you're not going to forgive anybody else and you're not going to forget any mistakes. But just like that young guy that approached Jesus A lot of us are confused because we've done good things in our lives. We have taken steps to be better people. We've followed the rules, and we've allowed God to have a say or at least an opinion on how we should live our lives. And yet we find ourselves, we're still asking, God, what else must I do to get the real abundant, that life to the full that Jesus has for me? Well, here's the answer. Here's the truth about what we all need to do with God as my co-pilot. Here's the truth of what that bumper sticker should say. It should say, if God is your co-pilot, switch seats. If God is your co-pilot, switch seats. That's the truth of that bumper sticker. And and what we all need to do today is we got to come face to face with that God has never been content to sit in the co-pilot seat of our lives. And throughout the pages of scriptures, he makes this abundantly clear. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says it this way. Jesus goes ahead and he says, this is Jesus talking, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, the sake of the gospel you will save it. Now, that's pretty clear and direct, isn't it? Jesus isn't interested in being the backup pilot. What Jesus is describing here, he's not describing joining a book club. He's talking about surrendering our entire lives, about climbing out of the captain's seat and giving the steering wheel completely to him. Jesus is saying, he's saying that in order to truly follow him, in order to truly be his disciple, we have to be prepared to completely shift the center of the focus of our lives and our wants and our needs and our desires. We've got to flip it off of ourselves and, and we need to fully surrender to the will of God. 
to take hold of God's kingdom, we need to let go of our own. And I remember at this point in history, Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet. His disciples don't know he's going to go. They don't know that he's going to die this horrible, agonizing death on the cross. And, and so the cross, it, it's not this like clever, cute metaphor, you know, for comfort. And no, nobody is wearing cross jewelry. We're not walking around getting tattooed up with some really cool crosses. Hearing this invitation would have had an intense and immediate impact on the heart's of those who heard it, because taking up the cross, that implied an all-in, burn the boats, burn the bridges, no turning back kind of commitment. And that's one that's far different than what many of us are used to hearing. Jesus was making sure that what he was asking, that it was painfully clear, that he was talking about total and complete surrender. And to be fair... That is much easier said than done because a lot of us, we're okay with this idea of God as a tag-along as long as he doesn't interrupt our existing plans and the plans that we've laid out for our lives. But this idea of total surrender, of completely giving things over to God, that can be much more difficult to do. And even if we find ourselves open to this idea of total surrender, it can be overwhelming as we try to figure out what that means and how to live that out. And I think that one of the reasons why we resist giving up the steering wheels of our lives to God, it ultimately comes down to trust. Because at some level, we struggle to believe that completely surrendering to God is actually in our best interests. And these questions go through our minds. And, then, and the questions are, what if God asks me to do something I don't want to do? Or, or what if God sends me to places I don't want to go? Or, or what if I just don't want to change the perfect plans I've made for my life? And I think many of us, deep down, we believe, we feel that God is trying to keep us from the good things in life. But nothing could be further from the truth. Because when God invites us, to be a people of generosity, he knows that living with open hands, seeing everything that we have, that it's a gift from him, he knows that that's a better way for us to live. When God invites us to bear one another's burdens, he knows that living in true, authentic community is so much better than a life of isolation. When God invites us to put him first in our lives above, over everything else. He, it's not because he's needy and it's not because he's lonely, but it's instead he knows that when we substitute anything for him, whatever that thing is, even if it's a good thing, it is eventually going to collapse, it's going to crumble, it's going to break, and he knows that putting him first and surrendering completely to him is just a better way to live. So if it's easier said than done, then what does it look like to move from the captain's seat and to step over and to give the steering wheel to God? And that word, I've said it multiple times, that word is surrender. And it begins by seeing everything that we have, every skill, every talent, every resource, it's a gift from God and it's his to use. Because after all, who would have a better idea on how to use these resources than the one who gave them to us in the first place. And here's what I want to challenge us to do. I think together, we need to learn to let go 
of the steering wheel. And understand, this is not an invitation to let go and let God because that's just another bumper sticker cliche and you guys would be here late if I jumped into that one. The point isn't to passively sit back and say, well, whatever God wants to happen, that's what's going to happen. No, because we've been called by God to join in his work. And the work that we've been called to do is to help people find their way back to him. We're called to bring hope and healing to a hurting world. And God has designed us to actively live and work in partnership with him. But in order to do that, we need to get out of the driver's seat and we need to loosen the grip on this wheel because we need to give it to him. And in light of that, I want, I want to do something with you guys today. And I want you to join with me. I, I want everybody to just right now, just kind of reach out. You don't have to go like that. It doesn't have to be an 18-wheeler. But just kind of imagine yourself hanging on to a steering wheel. And just, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and don't worry about feeling weird. Just grip that steering wheel. Close your eyes. Everybody's going to do it. And just go ahead and do that now. Grip that steering wheel. Close your eyes. Grip it tight like you're driving through a blizzard on a Wisconsin night in January and you wish you were already home. And just grip that thing and keep gripping it until your knuckles turn white. And as you're gripping that firmly and as hard as you can, I, I want to ask yourself, ask yourself, what have I been holding on to? What person, what idea, what goal, what possession have I been clinging on to and grasping at that I need to fully surrender to God? And maybe, maybe it's for the first time or maybe it's for the hundredth and first time. What areas of my life have I insisted on being in the driver's seat that I just need to let God take complete control of? And maybe as you got that steering wheel and you're grasping it, maybe you've been in the pilot seat for too long and it's time to fully surrender to Jesus. And maybe it's time to give up control because it's one thing to surrender to Jesus with our eternity and to trust him with our afterlife, but it is another thing entirely to surrender to Jesus in the here and now and to let him take the steering wheel of our lives and to trust him. So with your eyes closed and you're still gripping that steering wheel, what is that thing that you've been holding on to? Maybe, maybe it's like the rich young man. Maybe it's money. Well, money's just a tool. It's nothing more. And maybe you're gripping on to success and you're never going to be satisfied if that's what you pursue. We talked about pleasures and all sorts of pleasures that we can escape with. What pleasures are getting in the way and you're gripping that wheel and maybe you're struggling with, with perfection. God loves you just the way you are. And the truth is you cannot be perfect. And maybe you just want everybody to like you and, and you're a people pleaser. Not everybody's going to like you. And, and that fear of man has become a snare for you. And so as you're, as you're gripping that steering wheel, now envision God lovingly reminding you that he's in control, that he knows your heart, he knows what you need, he's a good father, he knows us better than we know ourselves. We can surrender with peace and confidence because God sees us with an unimaginable, incomprehensible, unfathomable love. And so right now, just keep your eyes closed, but let go of that steering wheel and just open your hands fully and just leave them open on your laps and picture Jesus taking that steering wheel from you as you give him control of all the good things in your life so you can face and have the great things 
that he's got for us. Let's keep our heads bowed and let's pray. God, thank you today for just the truth of Scripture, for loving us so much that you would send Jesus and Jesus would speak that truth into our lives. And today we looked at the story of this rich young man who had so many good things and all of those good things are just like all of the good things that we have. But he struggled and he struggled to hang on to him and he couldn't let go of that wheel. God, may we be different than him. Give us the wisdom, the obedience. Give us the courage, Lord, to just let go of that wheel and surrender so we can have the life that you've desired us, not someday, but so that we can have it in the here and now. And God, as we surrender whatever it is, may you make us a people, may you just draw us closer to you and and just send us to do your will, wherever that will is, places we don't want to go, maybe things we don't want to do, God, but give us that courage to put down our way and to pick up your way. You showed us that you loved us so much that when we were separated, when we were still at war with you, you sent Jesus so we could reconcile with you. God, we accept that reconciliation. We thank you for that, and we thank you for the truth that we find in your scripture. And I pray all of this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.